Hey, you're listening to the AudioCraft Conference Series. I'm Kate Montague. These sessions were recorded at our first ever conference that we held in March 2016. It was the first time that radio producers and podcasters from the public, community and independent sectors from all over Australia came together and nerded out about sound. It was awesome. This episode is of our independent podcasting session with Beck Fari and John Chia. We're huge fans of Beck's independent podcast, Sleep Talker, and wanted to hear more about how she manages this project with all of her other freelance work. John makes the independent podcast, Paper Radio. It really pushes the boundaries of sound design and creative storytelling. I really loved hearing about their approaches to audio making and some of the advantages of working independently. To start off, Beck and John talked a little bit about how they got into making radio and podcasts. I come from a journalism background. I studied communications and journalism at uni. But while I was there, I thought I really wanted to be a writer and a print journal. So I kind of switched off in all my radio and TV classes, which I now regret. Um, After I graduated, I was working in publishing, listening to a whole lot of podcasts and loving audio. And then I realized, oh, crap, I should have been paying attention in... um, radio and so I joined SIN which is a youth community radio station in Melbourne where I was introduced to all the best I didn't really know what I was doing but all the best is so great and I really cut my teeth there producing narrative stories for radio and also did some live to air stuff and somewhere in the middle there started making sleep talker Um, and from all of that work, um, from all of that volunteer stuff, community radio and producing sleep talker, I have now moved into freelance audio production just to give you a bit of a feel for sleep talker and what I do. Um, we're just going to play a little clip from episode six. Welcome to sleep talker. And that's what happened to me. I got excited by it and it kicked me out of my dream and I just woke up. The podcast about sleep. Let me try that again. Um, Dreams. And and it was awful. I woke up the next morning feeling exhausted because I'm sure I was I was all over my bed like nightmares. It was pretty close to my bed in my memory. And I was a bit of a sleepwalker as well. Um And what happens in your head after dark? Can we move on to paper radio now? Um, My name is John. I have a background in music, so that kind of um, birthed my fascination with and eventually comfort with sound and music and audio. But I sort of moved through studying arts and multimedia to eventually end up at the ABC um, for DIG, which is their old digital radio station in 2007 I think it was Um, and through there I kind of found my way upstairs in Melbourne to Radio Australia which is the international broadcasting um, late international broadcasting entity whilst at Radio Australia I was doing a lot of online work and I sort of found a little niche where I could work on this project called Pacific Break where um, it was essentially kind of a talent quest and a DIY how-to for musicians in the Pacific Islands. So um, I did a lot of phone interviews there and then I got to do a bit of field work as well. Um, And that was really my first experience of making features. From there, I 
applied with my paper radio co-founder, um, Jesse, to an arts organisation called Awesome Arts in Western Australia, who um, basically send artists on residencies in remote community schools. Um, and with some kids, we produced a, I think it was a 20-minute sound story over a two-week period. And that involved kind of sending them off with little uh, cassette Walkman recorders. And we had one digital recorder, which was our first experience of using an external mic. What a revelation. Oh, that, mm. i got a funny story about um, having one of the ABC's excellent Marantz recorders and not understanding that you had to plug a mic in, so I put it on the table and... <laughs> I, I just wanted some feedback on my, uh, my feature. And like, you know, I'm happy if I have to do it again, but I didn't get a response. Anyway, um, I'm going to play a really short clip from Willoona, which is the remote Western Australian town that we did this work in. Welcome to Willoona. This is our story. This is some Sam stories about our place. Brought to you by Ashley, James, Lockwood, Joshua, Brandon, Teray, Jane, Georgia, Paulie, Tisha, Chance, Glenica, Bronel, Shanice, Brandon, Dakota, Das, Catherine. This is our school and... These are some of our favourite things. That was pretty much at the point where I learned that um, using a microphone instead of just using the built-in mic on your recorder is really important. From there, we founded Paper Radio in 2010, um, published our first piece about... 10 months maybe after we started working on it um, and then I started working at the Wheeler Centre as well and um, that's why Paper Radio doesn't publish as much because I'm working most days and nights but the Wheeler Centre um, publishes five podcasts in, most of them are event based and then Better Off Dead which is the Andrew Denton hosted and produced um, podcast about voluntary assisted dying laws and so on. I might if we have time, I might play a real quick clip from that. Okay, let's... Batteries. Yeah. Let's have uh, a little fan. And I think, put your hand on the door. Is there a little heat in there, or am I imagining it? So here I am, standing in Liz's kitchen on a brilliant, sunny Sydney afternoon, watching as she and Bronwyn carefully test the Nembatal to see if it will kill her. Using a kit Liz bought from Exit, a calculator and scales borrowed from a hairdresser, the powder is measured, weighed, diluted, baked, then weighed again. The process, exhausting and exacting, takes six hours. An afternoon out of the life of a woman with maybe only weeks to live. Frankly, it seems cruel. The only good news, the test is positive. The powder is pure. Now comes a much harder test when to use it. Yeah, so that's, that's a bit about us. And from here, we're going to move in to talking about a section that we originally called What Even Is Podcasting? There's been so much that's been said and written about and talked about in that area in terms of what is a podcast versus what is a broadcast and the differences between form and function for radio versus online audio. For this discussion, we are going to be focusing quite specifically on independent podcasts. But before we do that, we just wanted to run through a few thoughts and questions about podcasting versus radio. Yeah, so it's kind of not like these are not 
questions that you should go, oh, well, it's obviously this. Um, they're more questions about how you think about the whole thing, and the answer is pretty much yes to all of them, depending on what the context is. Start us off. Is a podcast a form? Is it a genre? Is it a method of distribution? Is it a social phenomenon? Um, is it audio produced for an archive? Um, you know, that's something that I think about a lot, especially with sleep talkers, that as soon as I produce something, it's there and it sits there for a long time. Whereas when I've done live radio and community radio, whoever's listening at the time, they hear it and then it's up to you as to whether you record it and then upload it somewhere. So that ephemeral nature of live radio can be really freeing. Moving on from that... Um, so there are a lot of different flavours of independent production and that can be anything from kind of community radio where you have independence from advertisers to um, kind of uh, like working for a not-for-profit and producing content for them, producing custom content for private brands and so on, um, event-based things, totally going it alone, being an independent individual in the world on your own and collaborating with other individuals, dot, dot, dots. Um. On that idea of producing by yourself, there's certainly a tension, and I think it's a growing tension, between this romanticised narrative of a podcast as a form that anyone can do. You know, we think about, a lot of people think about podcasting as the medium that anyone can just go and buy a microphone and then record it in their basement. And so many great podcasts have started that way, but as podcasting grows as a form, there's now the feeling that podcasting, audio production, while it's been a specialised skill set in radio for a really long time, those skills need to start to be respected in podcasting as well. Yeah, and, um, and there's also, whenever you're kind of trying to figure out which flavour of independent you want to be, it's always this, pretty much always a trade-off between freedom and money, like... Um, and, and that really just the word there is investment. Like if someone's going to invest in you, what do they get out of it? Because if it's not an investment, it's a gift. Which raises some questions about the legitimacy of, well, podcasting in general and also the legitimacy of ind individual podcasts. Um, you know, sometimes that can be a real challenge when you're trying to track down interviewees and you're telling them that you're producing for a podcast. When some of those people don't even know what a podcast is, how do you prove yourself as someone who's worth talking to and for other contributors as well? How do you prove that it's worth people investing time in your project? Um, there are a few ways that you can build that legitimacy for yourself. John, you did a course at the MEAA. Yeah, so the MEAA has like a freelance, that's the um, Media Art, Media Entertainment Arts Alliance, which is the union that probably is most relevant to um, radio producers and podcasters too. Um, they have a freelance pro membership, which is kind of cheaper, and it, you, it acknowledges the realities for freelance producers, which means that you, in order to get that, that membership, you have to have done their um, media law and defamation primer, which is extremely useful both for um, proving to people that you take your shit seriously, but also proving to yourself that you don't intend to get sued and die poor. Um, other things you can do to uh, legitimise yourself to potential collaborators um, and talent include? Um, you know, you can licence your work elsewhere. You might 
might want to, if you have any freelance clients that you can use as examples or portfolio work. Yeah. And there's, there are a whole lot of um, balancing tensions there between when you're producing for yourself versus producing for a show. So what can you do for yourself that you can't do for a broadcaster? One of the things that John and I found really interesting is that, you know, as a radio producer, dead air is kind of your worst fear. Like you, you'll do anything to, to stop stopping, you know, you don't, you don't want silence. Whereas we've come across a few examples where, um, podcasts have actually played with silence in a really beautiful way. Um, we've got a clip here from Here Be Monsters from an episode called Fear of Silence. Now, just a quick word of warning. There are a lot of delicate tones in today's episode. And so if you're listening in a noisy environment or through small speakers, you might miss them. Now, depending on the way that you choose to interpret the content of this show, that might be just fine. Don't worry, this will all make sense in a moment. So one really interesting thing there is that Jeff Emptman is asking us to listen through headphones and you can ask that of your audience when you're producing for a podcast. Love and Radio's tagline is listen with headphones um, and they've had some really interesting examples of sound design that simply wouldn't work if it was played through a radio and even that clip that we just played there probably didn't work quite as well in this environment as it would if you were playing um, to yourself. I guess the other thing that we found, um, the other key theme, which is probably quite predictable about stuff that doesn't get embraced so much by broadcast radio, is sex. So um, I'm just going to play this next clip and you can try and imagine sitting in the car listening to Radio National of a lovely afternoon and hearing this and having dinner later. I, I couldn't like I couldn't I couldn't go to the bathroom. I was like I'm I'm really nervous. And he started he started masturbating. You could tell because you could hear it. You could hear him um move his hand up and down on his penis. And then as soon as I started going to the bathroom, it moved really quickly and it was kind of like a huge adrenaline rush and I was just like really going to the bathroom and he was like really, really masturbating and it was like this intense uh, uh, like plethora of energy and, and I was going to the bathroom and he was masturbating vigorously and then he started speaking and he started he started saying uh, that a boy and, and calling me uh, as if I was his son almost and that was really really uncomfortable and then he came ironically that clip was um from the heart which a lot of you may know which originated as a community radio show in canada when you're thinking about whether you want people to be listening through headphones or <laughs> listening by themselves or listening with friends these are all things that you need to consider before you start 
um, before you start producing. Um, so we thought we'd share a few thoughts on how producers can move from having great ideas um, and how do you move from that concept into production. Um, so we're probably going to have to run through pretty quickly just some, some questions that we thought would be useful to ask yourself um, and these aren't questions that need to necessarily have answers. You don't necessarily need to make these decisions. These are questions that you can continue to ask yourself as you produce. I know certainly I didn't make a lot of decisions about Sleep Talker before I started. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I just kind of bought a microphone and started interviewing my friends and made what is arguably a pretty boring set of episodes for my first few. Um, but from developing um, a relationship with listeners and sheer practice, I really developed my sound more. And so, yeah, don't be scared of starting, um, but there are like a lot of things that you can think about before you do, such as... What's the idea? How would you describe why you should do this in like a sentence or two? So um, elevated pitches are a crass way of saying that you should be able to communicate efficiently to people who don't have a lot of time to spend on you before they've made any real decision to spend time on you. Um, and that can be re become a really useful thing. For example, the way Beck introduces Sleep Talker episodes I think is a really effective way of just saying very succinctly what you're about to hear and what you're committing to when you subscribe. So as you develop what your concept is, that can often become something like a tagline and that can be really useful for your social media presence, for your web presence, and that can kind of be, you, you know, you, you do kind of give, you need to give a reason for people to spend 10, 15 minutes, half an hour, however long your episodes are going to be. Um, so... It's, it's really useful to think about who is going to listen to your podcast. What do they want from it? Um, what does your podcast offer your audience and what's at stake for them? What's at stake for you? Um, it's really useful to scope out what else is already being made uh, and what can you build upon that's already out there. Um, and what are you going to ask of your audience? Um with Better Off Dead from the Wheeler Centre, um, Andrew Denton is asking a pretty specific thing of his audience. You know, he's asking them to, to change their mind about um, euthanasia. Um, whereas with Sleep Talker, I'm asking a very different thing. You know, I'm asking people to question what happens to them overnight. And I'm also asking my listeners to directly contribute to the show if they have um, stories that would work for me. Yeah, and it's pretty handy to just write a list of things that you're asking for. And they are things like you want people to subscribe to your feed or talk about you or give you money or whatever it is, like, or go out and with a recorder and send you audio. It can be pretty much anything, but they're good questions to ask. The next thing is, like, what are you seeking from it? It could be a reputation or a career. It could be activism or advocacy. Um, you could be looking for a space to develop and explore the craft um, you might be wanting to have a platform for your ideas. It could be a whole bunch of other things. And, you know, what, what do you get out of it? But also 
What do you have to offer? What do you specifically have that's an advantage? What's unique about your situation? What resources do you have? What people do you have access to? And how can you make the best of them to enhance your success? Um, we talked a little bit before about the, um, the style of your show and how you make decisions around that. Um, but it's really important to think about how is your show supposed to sound? What sort of show do you want to make? And once you've figured out what sort of show you want to make, think about do you know how much work is involved in making that? When I first started Sleep Talker, I thought it was going to be, you know, fortnightly or monthly until I realised, holy moly, there's a whole lot of sound design work that's involved in making work like that. And, yeah, I think you had a similar experience with paper radio. Um, yeah, we, we had initially aspired to publishing work every two weeks, um, which is laughable considering how long it, it takes us to make work now. Um, I'm not even going to mention how long that is, but, you know, these are just that was the folly of youth and also just the folly of confidence and ignorance. And that's a great folly to have, but, but be circumspect about your optimism too (laughs) yeah it's important to be realistic and also consider the fact that you're probably going to be working for free when you start out and we'll talk a little bit more about funding a little later in the session Um, it's important to think about whether your idea or your concept can sustain itself is it infinite or is it a finite series are you going to do seasons um Yeah, and do you want to start a podcast or do you really want to start a community radio show? You know, if you're doing a talk show, maybe what you really want to do is have access to that listener base straight away um, and have that interaction that's not always available to you when you're starting out fresh by yourself. I think another question to ask yourself is like, um, because we all grew up listening to the radio and probably mostly grew up listening to commercial radio where the voice is really super loud and compressed and music sounds, everything sounds kind of even... um, there's kind of a sense of a right answer, and I had a really good chat at lunchtime about this, that there is a sense of a right answer as, in terms of you're recording your work well or you're doing it properly. Um, the, everyone knows what I'm talking about. When I say properly, you know what the voice sounds like. It sounds upfront or it sounds clean or whatever it is. Um, but there's also merit in breaking those conventions and especially in juxtaposing them. So that's another thing that I think in deciding what your podcast should be, um, those are decisions you can take into mind. And as you as you get better at making audio, as I'm sure a lot of you in the room will know, as you get better at it, it takes a lot longer. You start hearing things that you need to fix. Um, and so, yeah, it very easily kind of snowballs into the, um, the tension of perfectionism. So um, those are just key things to keep asking yourselves and... That's the key thing, like, you've got to keep asking yourself those questions because the answers will change as your show changes, your podcast, sorry, show, podcast, um, and, and your ideas, your experience. Um, and it's just good to kind of check in with yourself and see if it's still what you want to be doing. So once you've asked all of those questions and not necessarily answered them, but once you've got a sense of what you want to do, then it's time to start thinking about how do you record it and where can you learn those skills? So have a think about the equipment that you're going to use. And once you've chosen that, 
take some time to, to learn how to use it in some resources such as? Um, yeah, so there, there are lots of places you can find help with audio and the internet is obviously place number one. If you do not know what the internet is, I don't know why you want to start a podcast. If you do not know how to Google, how do I make um, a good voice recording? How do you want people to find your podcast? Um, let me Google that for you as a great site. Google's also a great site. Um, there are also other great sites like Transom, CMTO for Community Radio, SIN as well. All community stations have some training element and that's wonderful. Um, YouTube, Women's Audio Mission, Audio Tutes, um, those online courses, the free ones, the ones you pay for, be careful about the ones you pay for because um, there are shysters out there. Um, but also workshops at writers' festivals, festivals like this, um, there are lots and lots of places to find ways to better sounding work. And some of those, they all come down to people, whether it's good people you trust on the internet um, who can explain things in ways you understand or finding a mentor or an advisor. The audio community internationally and in Australia is so supportive and that's a really, really wonderful thing. Um, the The scope for mentorship in radio and podcasting is wonderful, especially as we have access to people from the other side of the world. So I do highly recommend just send those emails, just say, hey, listen to my work. What do you think of it? And the worst thing that someone can say is, sorry, I don't have time, or they just won't reply at all. The best thing that can happen is that they become your mentor. We might just run through a few quick notes um, about music in podcasting. That's, you know, that's a can of worms. Um, but uh, John and I have pretty different approaches. I, I'm a big fan of of just working directly with musicians. I have built some relationships with local musicians in Melbourne and that's been a really wonderful way for me to um, be able to work their music in with my stories. Um, but there are all, there's also plenty of resources online, you know, free music archive, creative commons, um, whereas John comes from a music background, um, so ha- has more skills than I and can do things like recording his own music, remixing music. Um, And another thing to look into is the APRA mini licensing, which can be really useful if you have specific music that that your podcast kind of hooks on. So just Google that. It's too complicated to go into here, but it's basically affordable for independence and it means that you kind of get off the hook for using pre-recorded music by commercial artists. Um, so hopefully by now in this uh, this run through, you know, you've you've produced a podcast episode. So now, how do you go into scheduling, sharing, and distribution? There are lots of things that you can do which improve the discoverability of audio. Do you have a website? Do you have social media? That kind of thing. But also, transcripts are really good for making your subject matter searchable, and you, there are ways you can kind of game that to make it more search friendly usually at the expense of coherence. Also photos and extra stuff, like are you asking people to come and kind of engage richly with your content? Does your story need extra material? Um, There's also just this idea of finding your people, like other shows and producers, like-minded podcasts. Um, We've both had work that's kind of been integrated into other... um, Like we've kind of had some cross-pollination with other podcasts... 
Um, I was talking earlier about mentorship and um, I was incredibly lucky that um, the producer of my favorite podcast, Here Be Monsters, contacted me and, and we built a relationship uh, that way through emailing and sharing work and he ended up pitching an episode to me. I was thinking that it would work the other way around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I ended up interviewing Jeff Emptman for an episode of Sleep Talker, and that was episode six, which we heard a clip from earlier. Um, that was my intro from that episode. And that episode increased my listenership a thousandfold from the single um, – action very simple action of him just posting the link on his facebook page and then suddenly i have access to a a huge audience that i didn't otherwise and i do also have the benefit of having such a niche interest area for my podcast and so people people who think about sleep a lot people who have disordered sleep um they are much more likely to seek out these conversations um so that's one of the questions that you might want to ask yourself is um does your subject matter have have a built-in audience that you might be able to access? Um, there's also obviously networks like Radiotopia and Earwolf and all of that, but that's sort of very US-centric at the moment. In Australia, broadcasts, obviously RN is a huge um, co-commissioning kind of entity as well as um, they'll take freelance pitches and for lots of different shows, um, they have varying levels of involvement with people of varying levels of independence from the organisation. So there's RN Showcase series, short run series. There's First Run, which was their um, kind of digital first podcast initiative, um, Science Versus and so on. Do you think it would be a good time to talk about iTunes? Yeah, so iTunes is obviously really extremely essential for podcasts in general. Um, The way a lot of it works is quite mysterious and a lot of those questions remain unanswered, like new and noteworthy. Um, And the top podcasts is all algorithmically driven and they won't tell you what you have to do to kind of get there, which is probably fair enough. However, reaching out to iTunes directly is extremely useful. Um, They have editor's picks. They will tell you how at various levels of um, notoriety, you can kind of increase the quality of your presence on iTunes. They are so helpful, really patient about talking to anybody, and um, if you enter their radar, they'll often feature you in editor's choice and stuff like that. But being featured on iTunes never happens automatically. Like, you need to supply them with artwork. You need to give them layered artwork to their spec. Again, if you don't have the skills yourself, ask somebody, but find... Find out who's in charge of your iTunes store. They're all different for different regions, and it's clearly everyone understands, I think, how important that is. They have quite a long lead time as well. Um, so I, I, I think, I, I'm speculating here, but I think they make those decisions around about three or four weeks in advance. Two weeks, I think. Two weeks, okay. Um, yeah, and so that can be that can make, make or break a podcast. And it's interesting that a lot of measures of success in podcasting so often ride upon numbers. So, you know, what's your download rate? What's your listenership? And from there, you can start thinking about sources of funding. So so what's it worth for you? Because as I said earlier, you're probably going to be working for free. And, you know, I'm not making money from Sleep Talker. 
I'm spending money on Sleep Talker and I'm just uh, lucky that I chose a subject area that I adore and I'm endlessly fascinated about. So I'm not only producing my work for my audience, but I'm also producing it for me. And so that can keep me motivated in those weeks where it feels like no one's listening. Um, and yeah, did you, should we talk about um, sponsorship? I see it as sort of like part of this big mix of options, like license fees from being rebroadcast on podcast playlist or sampler or those kind of um, metapods, which is Beck's wonderful term for them. Um, crowdfunding, you know, you can have ad hoc crowdfunding like Patreon or you can have Kickstarter campaigns, branded podcasts we kind of mentioned before. There's also weird places you can put stuff like... Um, um, we publish Better Off Dead on YouTube as well. Obviously, like that doesn't really help our iTunes charting, but it just means more people hear it um, through related topic tags and stuff. The in-flight entertainment is pretty much untapped, but they're also um, financially prudent. And then there's stuff like freelancing, tape syncs, um, awards and prizes, grants. Arts grants are starting to come to people from audio now, finally. Um, and... Air is a great place um, to look for a guide to sort of how you charge for your skills and charge for productions, um, whether they're commissioned or they're just licenses. For me, um, I guess Sleep Talker has led to money really indirectly in that, you know, it's it's built my skill set and from there I've been able to move into um, freelance audio production work. But there is that tension that how do you start asking for money for something that might not be good enough yet, but how do you get it good enough if you don't have the money to make it yet? So it is this kind of ever-evolving balancing act that some people get right, um, you know, some people don't. And it's not something that you have to worry too much about when you're starting out, but it's certainly a challenge, especially if you're working at the same time as producing, if you're working in other areas. So we've got a few more minutes before we have to go to questions. Um, we might kind of lead ourselves to your questions through some big questions about how you look back on the work you've made, how we all look back on the work we've made, um, what is, what's the collective value of it, um, and really this kind of comes down to a couple of things. Um, I think that the culture of podcasting independent podcasting is very celebratory at the moment um we might should we play metapods yes um so this is a montage of pods about pods the theme is uh podcasting's arrival to the podcast playlist podcast hi i'm Brittany loose and i'm the host of gimlet media's new show sampler it's about podcasts Let's see how can I just how can I describe it? It's a it's a podcast about podcasts. So it's it's kind of like a pod parade. A radio show about the people who make radio. It's the show that introduces you to your new favorite podcasts. And today we play you handpicked moments from podcasts that you just have to hear. So there's also a culture of, you know, my my email inbox is full of about ten tiny letters with about ten recommendations of, of the best new podcast and and so much of the conversation, the meta conversation of podcasting is saying, Hey, look at this hot new thing. Here's more of this hot new thing. 
Um, and that can be really great. It's great for audiences. Um, it can be really useful for producers as well in terms of getting your work heard. And it's also useful in training audiences. You know, there, there are... I kind of forget this sometimes. You know, sometimes I get really jaded about the pods about pods. Um, you know, I get it. <laughs> um, but it's important to remember that there is... It, podcasts aren't mainstream and we still do need to train audiences in listening to podcasts as a legitimate form. Um, I guess one thing that I, I wish there were more of would be um, more critical conversations about podcasts or a critical culture. Um, I think that in order for us to mature as a form um, and legitimise ourselves as well, it would be great if there were some um, more um, evaluation like Things like Radio Doc Review um, or Kill Your Darlings had a podcast review section uh, back in 2012. Um, do you have some more examples? I don't really. I mean, they're sort of they're fragmented through the web, but um, and that's the thing. Like, I think that with a bit more momentum, um, and I'm sure a critical culture will take a long time to spring up, especially in this kind of context where there's no money to be made in criticism, as any of you who've ever tried to write it would know. It's kind of like the sinking ship um, and we're like podcasting is the floating ship but can we have some critical cabins um, <laughs> I guess like the, the value of it though is that um, it gives producers common terms and language it gives us points of reference it gives us a way to fast track and communicate kind of where ideas are at and I mean I, I don't know about you but when I read music reviews I, I find them more enjoyable most of the time than the music because the, the things that they describe, the ideas they describe are so great. And then you hear the thing and it's like, oh, I guess you could say that, but I'm going to just read the review again. Um, that's sort of, I guess that's my selfish reason for wanting more criticism. And, you know, I, I certainly acknowledge that all of the conversation about podcasting, all of the administration that goes into starting a podcast, you know, sometimes it feels like you're balancing um, being an artist with being an entrepreneur and... Um, you know, how do you manage a website, a social media presence, an RSS feed, and then also produce great content? Sometimes I feel like I, I'm wasting time, you know, thinking about it when I'm not actually producing it, but it's all, all important and all part of the process, so it does become a balancing act. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of... Um, there's sort of this analogous thing between, like podcasts and indie music in a way like how much personality should you inject into your work at the expense of mass appeal um, and actually there are heaps of really amazing kinds of ways in which you can be in inspired by um, different strains of other art forms like I think dramaturgy is kind of this mysterious finger of theatre that um, is maybe ignored because it's such a weird word um, but when I, when I looked it up on Google, you know, things like that are like, they're really about um, how do you make decisions and anything that you can use, um, any comparison you can draw to help you make at least more considered questions are quite worth your time. So I feel like we've had to zoom through a whole lot of information. We, we could talk for three hours about this. I guess, you know, something to keep in mind is that John and I, we're not experts. We're, 
something about you know being an independent producer is that you can't you kind of just improvising you know you'll you'll figure out a process that works for you we've figured out processes that work for us but don't take it as gospel and and yeah I really do encourage people to to start and keep asking yourself those questions and and evaluate as you go so do we have any questions that um, that that microphone can collect John, um, I really love the sound of your podcasts. They're, they're, it's so rich. Um, it's so deliberately composed. You put a lot of work into that. Um, you dropped a hint early in the um, discussion about that's you know that's not the thing that that, that say the Americans are excited about. But you you dropped a hint about your thoughts on that, and I'm really curious as to how we perhaps as Australian podcasters can challenge the status quo um, or the sort of the, the, the fanboy uh, attitude towards podcasts that don't think about sound at all, really. Yeah, so um, how many of you are flying back tonight? Because we could talk about this all weekend. <laughs> I don't know. I think that it's really about a question of... Um, Using, again, it's about using our kind of isolation to our advantage and having developing a character and being very um, proactive in trying to find out what Australia could sound like and whether we want to sound more like the sound that is dominating a big market, which would be perfectly legitimate, or if we can kind of crank out our own character, which I think we do inevitably to some degree, but um, there are certain aspects of our sound culture that are extremely distinctive, and I, I think we would be foolish to um, look o- overlook them. Um, my question's for Beck. Um, you did started an independent podcast that's a very unique sound and a very niche topic. Um, how do you feel, would you recommend that over doing something that's a bit more mainstream and a bit more accessible to people who are still stuck in a more mainstream sounding podcast kind of realm? do you think it's worth taking the risk of doing something that's that niche? Or would you say that yours isn't really that niche? Maybe that's just my interpretation of it. Um, I mean, my, my personal opinion is that um, sleep is a universal experience. So I think that we can, we can all sort of relate to the content in some way. But I do know that um, people who listen to Sleep Talker often have disordered sleep or problems with their sleep and that's why you know if you're having a perfect night's sleep every night you're probably not thinking about sleep you probably don't want to listen to someone talking about it and it's also you know especially dreams and nightmares is like the classic example of the boring conversation topic that no one wants to listen to however (laughs) that said I I think that there is as you said, a niche audience that is really interested and wants to know more. And so I definitely target Sleep Talker to those people and I've started to find, you know, pockets, um, mostly internet communities that kind of rally around that topic and so they they really enjoy Sleep Talker. But I do admit that it's not, it's not appropriate, probably not entertaining for a mainstream audience. As for whether you should um, take that into consideration before you start, um, it's certainly something to think about, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from shooting for that mainstream sound. Um, I think if you if you have a really niche interest area, I think it is easier to find an audience certainly, um, but then again 
you are limiting your numbers in a way. Um, I've never tried to shoot for a mainstream sound, so I don't know how much I can comment on it. Um, yeah, does that answer your question a bit? <laughs> I've just got a question about um, like money and making making money. Is is independent podcasting in Australia? Do you think it'll only ever be a pa passion project, or can people quit their jobs to do this? <laughs> Um, in, in a way, I quit my job to do this. I quit my full-time job in publishing to, to pursue radio and freelance audio. I didn't quit my job to pursue Sleep Talker, though. I've, I spend money on Sleep Talker. I don't make money on Sleep Talker. Um, and I, I think I'm a long way from being able to make money from it. Um, to be fair, I haven't tried you know I haven't really gone for sponsorship I haven't gone for crowdfunding so I don't know how much I can comment on that um, that said I'm yet to see an Australian independent podcaster make the equivalent of a full-time living from it I'm optimistic um, you know we've seen so many great examples overseas um, Scott Carrier who I mentioned earlier I mean it's tricky bringing him up because he's such a legend that he brought an audience with him when he went to podcasting, but he published a really great episode. I think it was two weeks ago now. Um, it was kind of an annual general meeting um, where he basically treats his audience like shareholders and says, this is how much money I made. This is how much money I need to make. This is how many of you there are. And this is how much money you need to donate for me to keep doing this. And I think that's a really interesting approach. Um, and I think that as Australian audiences grow and as Australian shows grow, I think that's going to happen more for us. Um, so yeah, we're not there yet, but I think I think it's hap it's going to it's going to happen. <laughs> I think it'll happen when someone really focuses really hard on making money outside of Australia, because we're just a small country in terms of media, and you know, like. In, in a couple of big cities in America, you already have our whole population, um, plus you know people and you go to live events. So I think, like, there's going to have to be some of that. Yeah, I guess even, even, you know, I don't know the numbers for Better Off Dead, for instance. I don't know the download numbers for Australian podcasts in general, but I would say that the top numbers of Australian downloads are nowhere near the, the, the serial of the world, you know. Um, yeah. Except the RN. RN do like amazingly and quietly well, millions and millions. <laughs> don't don't go independent. Just go RN. <laughs> Can we edit that out? Three, two, one. Um, it's more a comment where you talk about not using your local flavour to um, get a bigger audience. But um, in terms of monetization, I know of one local podcast that got a $20,000 grant from um, a, a local government. So I think it's sad that we're just talking about monetization. I think part of the fun of a podcast is that it can be so niche and still have a lot of personality. Like what other format can you just go down some crazy rabbit hole and talk for 40 minutes and other people want to download it? Like I feel like we're getting away from why you actually want to make a podcast like I do one that's so niche it's just about Sydney food 
chefs in Sydney, people who write about food, people who make about food in Sydney. I don't care if someone in Canada will never listen to it, but it's been so much fun to just document a scene that it doesn't get covered in mainstream press. So I'm just maybe just making a comment that don't get caught up on how you need to make money because sure, I've been up at 4am editing and it's a pain in the butt, but in the long term, I've just had so much fun finding about chefs who got their start because they got a visit from the bomb squad when they first learned how to cook. You know, like, that can be a fun thing too. And I'm just, I guess, saying don't forget that side of why you started a podcast. What, what is your podcast called? It's got a ridiculous long title, but it's called The Unbearable Lightness of Being Hungry. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, and I agree. I think that, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we do get really, really caught up in these conversations of money and audiences and downloads, which, you know, they're important if, if, if we do want to monetize and we do want to make it a business and we want to make, make it a living. But um, as a craft, there is so much joy and fun and love to be had in it. And that's, you know, that's, I guess that's what I mostly get from Sleep Talker specifically. And is that question of what do you want to get out of it? And like, um, you know, like if you just if you just want to like do a podcast about something extremely niche, you absolutely should. Like as long as you are defined about what your expectations are. If you don't expect to make money from Canadians, that is, I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> I'm celebrating that. It's hard sometimes, you know, sometimes, especially um, time. Time is the main thing that I find really hard. But I, um, if I was recording an interview, I'd wait right now. There's a point. Um, I am really, really passionate and really drawn and just um, kind of intoxicated by my content. I... um, and the people that I talk to, building that relationship about the thing that I'm producing, um, I guess that keeps me going, that, that, that spark of fascination, um, which is a very personal thing. And that's why, you know, I, I'm cautious about talking about numbers and downloads because that's, that's not a focus for me at this point. Um, it is about the, the magic. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our sessions, head over to our website, audiocraft.com.au. And while you're there, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at audiocraftconf. That way we can keep you in the loop about all of the awesome things that we have planned. This series was produced by Miles Martignoni and Jessica Binneth.